0: small names. Some seem to give up, disappear and fade back into the page. At the top of pages 79 and 80, the Thames curved around the Isle of Dogs and then made another U around Blackwall Point. There was a descending list of wharves printed on the blue of the river. Morden, Enderby's, Pipers, Badcocks, Lovells, Palmers, Columbia, and I wondered if any still served a nautical purpose, or if they'd become mere decorative names. Printed in the 90s, my A to Z showed the demolished Southeastern gasworks where the Millennium Dome now stands. Most A to Zs are half dead, because documenting a city as alive as London will always be an impossible task. I walked around my neighborhood. I lurched around, graceless, with a rucksack on my back. I looked at people's faces on escalators for a second too long. I hadn't yet become an urban otter, one of those sleek Londoners who moves through the city with ease. They're the ones who seem slow and graceful, but are always covering ground. Who cross streets without looking back and forth. Who know how to fold a newspaper crisply in the middle of a packed tube train. At nearby Brixton Market, I came across a stallholder selling cheap, bedazzled jeans and mobile phone paraphernalia. He sat behind a desk covered in phone cards and posters that listed different rates for the different countries. The countries were given in three columns, set in the same size type. My country was there, but it was not by far the most expensive. Just a name among names. I tried to buy a five-pound phone card. Four pounds, said the man behind the desk. How much is that one, I asked, pointing to another five-pound card. Three pounds, he responded. There was a system at work here. I hesitated before it, and he left me to sell a pair of jeans to someone else. Later, I opened a door to a payphone. It was covered with a full-length KFC ad, so I didn't notice the man crouching inside he had just begun an ambitious inhalation on his crack pipe, and our eyes met. He apologized, and I apologized, and he apologized again, and I closed the door. One day, while walking home with a friend, I looked to my left and saw the graceful movement of a pickpocket's hand as it slid into the pocket of my friend's coat. I looked into the pickpocket's face. He looked back and withdrew his empty hand, He remained expressionless, purposefully vacant, and he drifted back into a stream of people. He faded into passing traffic. It was like watching an old master, well-versed in perspective and street camouflage, the latest in a long line. Who were these Londoners? Not long after, a girl approached me outside Brixton Tube Station. Her mascara was running. She had been crying for a while. Dressed in school uniform, she told me through her hiccups and tears that she was a long way from home. When I apologized and walked on, she followed and stopped me again, this time at the lip of the station. Her arm was on my jacket. A new sensation, a sincere touch. Where do you need to get to? I asked. Her reply, stains, left me none the wiser. The way she said it made it sound wicked. A place where the mothers stand cross-armed by the windows until their daughters get home. She shivered and looked expectant. So I walked her to a bus stop, gave her a one-pound coin, and stood beside her, hands in my pockets. After several minutes watching double-deckers pull up and pull away, she scornfully turned away and walked off. My London self, I thought, when he finally arrives, will not be taken advantage of so easily. I regularly felt lonely, duped, underprepared, faceless, friendless, but mostly a mixture of those on nights when I was pressed against the steamed windows of the 159 bus by grunting old men, big-hipped matriarchs, or by a Londoner who insisted on making room for his fold-up bike. Moisture seeped into the dewy routemaster's. If I slipped my hand beneath the seat, I'd have plucked mushrooms. On some